This is Michael. You're listening to Models of Masters, and I'm so grateful you're here. I'm breaking down personal stories, learned wisdom, and pieces of insight I hope can help you along your journey. Head over to my website, michaelbecker.org, for much more. And with that, let's get right into the show. In this episode, I interviewed Ken Burke, founder and CEO of the Entrepreneur Now Network. Ken has raised more than $50 million for his multiple businesses and has spent a career building, buying, and exiting companies. Ken founded a company called Market Live, which is a market-leading enterprise-class e-commerce software platform used by major merchants who collectively generate more than $2 billion in online sales using the platform, and he sold that to Vista Equity Partners back in 2016. Ken has taught over 10,000 entrepreneurs how to start and grow their companies, and his courses are viewed by students all over the world. So this man knows what he is talking about. Ken walked me through the most pressing questions that new startup founders commonly face, and these include, how much money should I raise for my business? How do I find investors? How do I get started in raising capital for my business? What does a great investor deck include? And several others that we dive into in the conversation. So if you are a startup founder or if you are thinking about creating your own startup and bringing your idea to fruition, this is a can't miss episode. Without further ado, I think you're going to find a ton of value from this episode. And here is Ken Burke. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode. I'm here with Ken Burke, founder and CEO of the Entrepreneur Now Network. Ken is a speaker, serial entrepreneur, and author. He also founded Market Live, a market-leading enterprise-class e-com software platform used by major merchants who generate over $2 billion in online sales through the platform, which Ken sold back in 2016. I'm going to get the scoop on that for sure. Um, Ken has also taught well over... 10,000 entrepreneurs had to successfully start and grow their companies. His courses are viewed by students all over the world. So I am incredibly excited and grateful to be joined by Ken Burke uh, today on the show. Ken, how are you? Oh, I am, Michael, I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be part of your podcast as well. So thank you for having me. Yeah, me as well. I'm, I'm really grateful that we were able to connect and, you know, just to just to be able to pick the brain of someone who's been through it, who's been there, who's grown companies, sold companies, um, who works with entrepreneurs every day to help them strategize and fundraise. I mean, this is going to be such an informative conversation. Great. So, well, I hope so. Yeah. And I love the cross between kind of that, that, that personal development and the things that you have to have going on in your mind that you talk about, as well as the entrepreneur and the business side of things. And there's an intersection there that I've been, always, I've been fascinated with uh, for many, many years. Yeah, I've actually been surprised, well, maybe maybe not so much, but at how many of the most successful people and high achievers that I've studied and met with and learned about got their initial push from a personal development angle or awakening experience of some type. So I know that's where things started for me three or four years ago with my spiritual awakening. So that's really interesting as well. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, no, that's very true as well. It's been my experience as well. Yeah. So look, let's let's kind of jump right into the topic at hand here. Um, we're going to be talking about specifically fundraising, um, working to get investors when and if it makes sense for your early stage startup business. 
um, and the best way to go about creating those materials, those those pitch and promotional, you know, products or um, uh, different types of of supporting documents that you know entrepreneurs may need throughout that journey. So there's really two schools of thought in pre-scale businesses, right? Either you go out and you get money by finding investors or you don't take on that outside funding and you bootstrap things yourself. I guess my first question for you, Ken, is how should a new startup determine if funding is right for them? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I, you know, I have a, a lot of philosophies around funding uh, since I went through, you know, I've been through the entire realm uh, from Sequoia Capital being my first investor, uh, who is the largest and most successful VC in the world, uh, yeah. and living through that experience as well. But I waited 13, 12 or 13 years before I actually took uh, investment dollars from a VC. Um, so in my in my prior business, and I'm a practicing entrepreneur now. So I'm actually going through the same thing that you, the question you just asked, I ask myself every day, when is the right time? And I work with my entrepreneurs on that question as well. And the answer really is, it, 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 of course, it depends in terms of how much capital you really need in order to make the business model that you have work. My first recommendation is hold off as long as you possibly can. Uh, mm-hmm. And I see entrepreneurs that do that. I, I know that it might create a slower ramp, at least a slower initial start to where you're going. Uh, but if you can hold off as long as you can, you actually will have a lot more equity to deal with. I I was very, very sensitive to dilution. Dilution is obviously where, you know, you have investors come in and they take part of your company and then they take more and more and more and you yep. get diluted as an individual. I'm sure most of your listeners know that. And the, the more value you can create, this is obvious, but I want to make sure it's stated, the more value you can create, uh, the less dilution you're going to suffer. So uh, there are different stages in the process of funding. There's a PowerPoint, you know, kind of the initial. And I come from San Francisco, California. That's where you know I exist. So you can get a business funded in the tech world with a PowerPoint. Maybe not all industries can do that, but you can do that here. And then you start progressing down the line of starting to build your product or starting to do the initial research and then building your product. That's another gate right there. Do you have an actual product or a service that's been formed enough to where you can actually go out and get funding or what we call the MVP? That's the next kind of gate. Then the next gate after that, which is the one that I really try to strive for as an entrepreneur, if you can, is getting customers, proving the fact that your product or service actually has a following. And once you get those customers, that could be the right time. And for me, that's the right time for my business uh, to get to actually go out and get funding that because now all of a sudden it, it might be just one or two customers. They may be in beta. The more along that progression you can go, the better, because I guarantee you the first thing the, uh, the investor will ask is how many customers do you have? Uh, where, where, what is your traction so far? And they'll always use the excuse. And this is this is for every investor that I've ever dealt with. Uh, they'll always use the excuse not to invest. We just want to see you have more traction. So you're going to hear that over and over again. And that there's a lot of meaning in that we can drill down because that they're actually sending you multiple messages by saying, I just need more traction. I just need more traction. There's a whole uh, psyche that they <laughs> that they have uh, that they go through in this funding process. Okay. And I want to go back to something you alluded to around value. So I'm curious how you've seen you know, new startups and new businesses really prove, I guess, the concept upfront, maybe without having uh, customers or, you know, tons of cash flow coming in. Um, is it enough, Ken, to have, you know, just an idea and some sketches of what an MVP might look like on a piece of paper that you that you jotted down in your journal in order to get funding? Or do you really need more than that? Or is it does it go both ways? 
You know, I'd love to say that that's enough. Uh, and I would say maybe a year ago uh, or two years ago, even uh, that would be the case, because especially within the tech industry, but just industries in general, there was so much money out there. And then March, April in the here in the U.S. Uh, hit and uh, certainly around the world as well as recession looms possible. Uh, but just the slowdown in the economy, it's not enough anymore. So if we're listening this today, uh, a sketch, an idea, I mean, if, if your idea is so incredibly revolutionary uh, and so you know mind-blowing and changing that nobody's ever heard the idea before. Or let me give you another or if you have a patent or if you have a, 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 a trademark that allow a trademark patent or copyright that allow and that's just the fact that you have a copyright or trademark right. is not powerful enough, but it's got to be so unique and that okay. patent has to be so solid that nobody can duplicate it then you could probably get it on an idea. But other than that, I got to tell you, you're going to need to develop something. Now, is it possible? Yes. Will you get diluted because the value of your company is just your idea? Yeah, you're going to get you're, you're going to give away a lot of the company up front. So that would always be a concern to me because it's not right now. I mean, if you own 100% of the company, where at whatever stage you're at, you say, I can give up 40%. That's not a big deal. I'll still have 60%. Yeah, I wish that was the case. That's not the way it works. Because yeah. every investor from Sequoia Capital on down reserves at least one to two additional fundings that they know you're going to need. They reserve the cash in most cases for those fundings, because if they want to play, they need to have that cash available to give you going forward. The reason is, is because they know you're going to get more funding. Well, with every funding round, you get diluted. So that, that, that let's say that 60% that you now own might go down to about 40% and 30% and 20% on additional rounds of funding, which by the way, happens to every successful entrepreneur. Even if you look at uh, Mark Zuckerberg or even Elon Musk, uh, they only own a certain percentage of their company. Uh, and I don't know how much Mark Zuckerberg owns, but I think it's in the 30% range. Don't quote me on that. And you're like, well, what happened? Well, because over time he had to give up uh, for that funding in the early days. And I would say Facebook was one of the most successful companies ever in existence. So you're going to have, if you're, that's your margin, uh, your comparison, it's going to be even more difficult. So I have a philosophy that says covet thy equity, uh, and it sounds a little religious, but it's not. At covet thy equity just means be meticulous and diligent at not giving up equity unless you need to. Let me give you one other really quick example. I'll bring in a partner. I'll give them 50-50. Okay, big mistake. First of all, two big mistakes with that comment, in my opinion. One is never have a 50-50 partner because you can never resolve anything. You will always get stuck. So an equal partnership, generally speaking, does not work. If you want a partnership, have three people in the partnership so somebody can be the tiebreaker. Or if you have only two people, make one person have majority ownership, even by a percentage or two. You need that to break the stalemate. Uh, a, a, a partnership, an equal partnership just is, is very challenging. But then you're also saying to yourself, I'm going to bring in my, my best friend over here, George or Mary, and I'm going to bring them in. I have to say that that also can be very uh, dangerous unless they have such a skill set that you don't have, that you can't do this business on your own. Or maybe with hiring or contracting or bringing that out, because that equity is huge when you start to look back at what your overall value will be. Yeah, you sell for 100 million, 200 million. I sold my company for over 100 million dollars, but I only had a certain percentage after 20 years. I was very diligent in keeping, I fought every tooth and nail with Sequoia Capital and everybody else uh, to keep as much equity as, as I did. And, and I was one of the few founders that had quite a lot of equity. I won't mention the exact amount, but quite a lot of equity when I left only because I fought for it each and every day. And I was trying to be as smart as I could about giving it up. Got it. Got it. Okay. I think what, like where my mind goes to around equity um, is like, <clears throat> you know, as a founder, 
you obviously want to get the most out of your company. You want to see it grow to the point, you know, it's capable. And my thought process would be in bringing, bringing on a partner and or investors is like, you have to know that you're not going to be able to hit that growth, you know, plateau that, that you're shooting for until, and unless you bring in those people that can help you propel it forward. So you have to expect and almost be, be willing to give away X percentage of your company in order to see that happen. Whereas if you don't, you're probably either going to fail or just sit, sit stagnant. Is that right? I think you're absolutely right in that. If First of all, I didn't say don't get a partner. I want to make sure I was clear in, in, in terms of the, the, the listeners about that. It's that be very strategic about the partners that you bring in and the equity that you're giving. So if you start the company, it's your idea. Give an example. I just started, I started a company a year and a half ago. Uh, it's a software company in the e-learning space. I brought on my chief architect. I was the creator of the idea. I, I, I'm funding the idea because I, I that's fortunate to me to have some extra uh, cash to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And he came in as a minority partner. He's incredibly valuable. I would, I, I, even for me to give 3%, 5%, 10% to somebody is a big deal. And I gave him enough equity that made him very motivated to be in the company. I needed him, but I didn't give him 50%. That's, that wouldn't be appropriate for me anyway. That wouldn't work at my stage of my career and what I want to do. Doesn't That's not a line, but I absolutely needed him overall. But I'm funding the company. I'm creating it and make and, and I'm the visionary behind it. So I, I'm just using myself as an example, not to say anything's good or great or what have you. But you have to then, if you if you approach it that way, then the people that you bring in, the farther your ideas along, the farther that you've developed, the less equity that they'll actually get. The next person that I'm going to bring in will get even less equity. I already have that person known and identified. They'll get less equity because I will have been in the company for several years. I've had a group of customers. We have a product now. That person coming in doesn't deserve uh, the equity of a founder, as an example. So there are a lot of different ways to do it. That's all I'm saying. And for those wondering, I looked up Zuckerberg's ownership share. He, you were right. He's right at 28%, it looks like. Okay, good. Interesting. Yeah, thanks for checking that out. But yeah, and by the way, super significant to make him one of the richest uh, people in the world. But, you know, he did get diluted along the way. And, and, and again, ridiculously successful in the, you know, in the, in the, in the early stages, everybody wanted in when, when, when the idea uh, came out. So your idea may not be as uh, that revolutionary of the creation of social media or they, I don't think he created social media (laughs) because there was a lot there before, but, uh, and what he did. So think about how you, how, what is your overall strategy? You have to always think about what your overall funding strategy is and ownership is a part of it. But also when and where to get that funding is also a part of it as well, right? And if you really, if you need $5 million to go in and, and literally build some massive product and get it to market, then raise the $5 million. I also say only raise the amount that you need. So uh, for instance, in the tech space, if you're building a software or an app or what have you, I usually recommend between a million and a million and a half. Now, again, it's different for every business. And some of your entrepreneurs that are listening out there may have more service-oriented businesses or products that just don't require that. They can get up and running and get a bunch of customers before. But I always recommend stair-step your investment. So take what you need. So if somebody offers you $5 million, which again, in today's world, probably isn't going to happen as much, but you only need a million and a half. Take the million and a half. Don't take the five million. You're like, well, if somebody's going to hand me a check for $5 million, of course I'll do it. Now, you can divide those numbers by 10 or 15 or whatever you want for your business as well. Um, yeah. so, so just make sure that you take what you want when you need it. I always recommend like 
like 1.5x of what your business plan calls for so that you have a buffer or maybe 1.25x to 1.5x of what your business plan calls for. And please, please, please make sure, make sure you have a financial plan. You have to have a minimum of a three-year financial forecast and uh, and, and up to five years uh, would be the case. Now, by the way, on my website, I'm not promoting my website at all, but we have a fantastic, uh, very investor-friendly model for doing all of this. And again, I, I don't say that other than there's a lot, lots of free material on the website uh, for people to go to as well. So I just wanted to put that out there because if you don't have a financial model, nobody's going to invest in you. So you want to make sure you have 1.25 to 1.5x of what that financial model says so you have the buffer because it usually takes either twice as long or twice as much money or both in order to get done what you're getting done. And even as a Fairly seasoned entrepreneur uh, in my current venture, we're about uh, you know about two x of the time that it took. Probably not two x the money, but two x the time it took from when we originally conceptualized and started coding the product. Okay. It, and, and I know what I'm doing usually. <laughs> well, maybe not actually. I mean, we have a pretty seasoned team, and I still was about uh, 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 you know uh, 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 you know half off of what I should have been in terms mm -hmm. of my estimates. But we're about ready to launch, and we're super excited. So you know, everything's coming together nicely. So just kind of taking it back to the basics for a second, one question I wanted to ask you, you know, I'm someone who, like you said, I'm a creator, I'm a strategist, I'm an idea guy. I have a, a notebook full of what I think are half a dozen, you know, fairly viable, good ideas for a platform and or app, those types of things. Um, for someone who's just getting started or coming up with all these great ideas, like what's the next step? Should they hire? Should they go find a, a partner? Should they... Should they have the thing developed and create a prototype before getting funding? Should they get funding first? Like, what's what are those initial steps that they should be taking? Yeah. Well, first of all, I always say uh, it, it, action creates momentum. And so whatever action that you need in order to take, and I'll give you the specific actions that I might recommend uh, if you were one of my students, uh, but action creates momentum. The first thing that stops an entrepreneur is they get through analysis. They go through this analysis paralysis process in many cases, or they have a fear that pops up. They need to overcome that fear. And this fear can come from a lot of different places. So what I see is entrepreneurs taking several years to just state on their idea and kind of think about it. I'm okay with doing that. I mean, typically two, three, four years before you actually jump in and say, now I'm doing it. You actually commit serious time and serious money to it, or at least enough time and or money to actually get the idea going. That could take two, three, four, five. It could take 10 years, right? So I'm not saying don't rush it or rush it. I'm saying that there's a lot of things that will block you. And I want to make sure that you remove some of those blocks before you get started. Now, and, what, and so, and one of the ways to do that too, let me give you two quick ways. I already gave you one. Break things down into small bite-sized pieces. It can seem like that it's really a big undertaking, a life-changing undertaking. And sometimes that's so overwhelming that you just stop. You, you, you're you paralyzed to start. So break it down into small bite-sized pieces. Do something small. If the products or the service you're going to offer seems really big, offer just a fraction of that. But in your MVP, you have to make sure that it's valuable. Even if it's a piece of what your overall vision is, which yeah. in many cases, that's what an MVP is. Yeah. a minimum viable product, which is by definition, I just want to give that definition, then then what you want to make sure is that you're giving something of value, but break it down into small bite-sized pieces, break your idea down, break your processes down, and then action, action, action. Even if you're just sitting at your, you're just in the idea phase and you're Googling the competitors, I love doing that. The first thing I do is I start, when I get an idea, I start Googling, I go to my favorite comp competitive sites, uh, craft.io is one of my favorite sites, uh, CR. AFT.io. Uh, and it just, it, there's just, it, you just start involving yourself. And that, that action then starts to move you forward. Now, to get to your specific question, where do I start? 
the best thing that you can do is, A, first of all, you have to get your business plan together at some level. You need some type of strategy. And I, I don't even, it's not a written business plan. Uh, it's written, but it's not like this 50 or 100 page document. Those aren't, aren't done anymore for any of the listeners that might think of the old ways of doing things. It's a PowerPoint. But there's a certain format and structure to that PowerPoint that you kind of need to think through the key strategies. So the purpose of doing a business plan is for you to get your strategies down, for you to understand what you're building. And here's the important part to see if it's feasible or not. That's why you do a business plan and a financial plan somewhere within the early stages of your idea. Not right. at the, You don't have to do it right at the beginning, but it's got to be the early stages, because let's say that you want to go into an industry and you're looking at the cost. I was just working with an entrepreneur that was uh, 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 selling uh, cold brew coffee. And the cost to produce the coffee was about oh, but but a dollar ninety per bottle, and we could sell it to uh, the distributors for two dollars and twenty cents. Well, that's not a business model that's sustainable. That doesn't work. Now, with volume, we were able to get it down and make some changes, but the original formulation was so expensive because, like many entrepreneurs, he was a purist and wanted only the best ingredients, only the best. The problem is the market wasn't willing to pay for that because at two twenty. He has to at least double that to 440 or 499, which is what we ended up going out in a price. And we were starting to approach a, a point where people just wouldn't pay that much for cold brew coffee in this particular kind of construction when the competitors were half the price. So we had to figure out how to take some ingredients out, repackage, become shelf stable, uh, 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 use a, a less form of packaging and even some lesser ingredients, got the price down to about 90 cents at volume. And now the business was feasible. But before that, if he tried to execute the other business, he would have gone out of business. There wasn't enough money. So that's one of the reasons why you do this. Now, from there, prototype, prototype, prototype. Absolutely. The more that you can bring that vision and make it, uh, you can smell it, touch it, taste it, feel it. <laughs> that's so critical to the overall process. Now, if you need money to make the prototype, I totally get it. Then go out and maybe uh, look for some friends and family money. Look for uh, what you can bring to the table in terms of money. If you don't have anything, Totally understand it. I don't recommend mortgaging your house or, you know, using credit cards, especially in this day and age where interest rates are so high. Um, but I do recommend going out to your, your I, I call it, I, I look at funding in, in concentric circles and, the, and we can talk more about it later. But the first circle is friends and family. And it's people that believe in you and that would invest in you. Probably they're just investing in you, not the idea. They want to know the idea. They want to know what's compelling. They want to know some of the business strategies around it. They want to see the financials, possibly, maybe not but they want to invest in you. So have a, a well-formed idea. If you're going to take money from friends and family, you better make sure you're serious about it as well and that you're right. committed to doing it because those are relationships that go on and you don't want to hurt those relationships. That And, and friends and family can extend out to, there, there's a broader network of people that know people that might be connected to your friends or family that is also part of that. A lot of that you can find on LinkedIn. In the business world, of course, friends and family, hopefully you find that within your own family as well or friends, uh, but you can also find that on LinkedIn with people that you've worked in the past and are just fascinated with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Hey, this is Michael. I'm popping in for 20 seconds here to challenge you to take the next step in your growth journey. I've helped over 40 business owners amplify their operation inside of my immersive one-on-one, -on -one, which is unlike any other coaching program out there. We'll be getting hands-on, doing content planning, script writing, ads optimization, customer mapping, and a lot more. So if it makes sense to chat, the link to schedule your call is in the description. All right, back to the show. So... Okay, there's so much there I want to dig into. I know, I'm sorry. Yes, there is. Because there's a lot to getting it started, right? There's a lot to moving this ball forward. And there isn't a right answer necessarily. Again, the, the you may not need money. Give me an example. If you're a services business, and, and there are a lot of people out there listening, I don't recommend funding. 
uh, to many services business. You generally don't need it. You should be able to make enough margin on the services that you provide. Let's say you're a coach or, or uh, a speaker or what have you. There's no real reason to fund your business. That doesn't mean you don't need a business plan and a, you know strat marketing strategies and selling strategies and a financial plan that guides that business. You, yeah, you absolutely have to. But funding it is not really that interesting, even for investors. And the reason is, is that service businesses typically get anywhere between 0.5, 0.5x to maybe 2x of a, a multiple on revenues. That's a multiple of revenues. A product business like mine, my, uh, which is a software company, might get 20x. That's the difference in valuation. Now, in this day and age right now, it might be between 10 and 15x because valuations have come down. Um, in the height of, uh, let's go back just one year ago, it was 30x of revenue. So if you had a million dollars of revenue, your business might have been worth $30 million with a million dollars of revenue. Incredible. Yeah. Today, that same business might only be worth 15 million, but still a nice valuation, right? And and by the way, we're kind of at the bottom. I don't know if we're at the bottom economically, but we're kind of at the bottom of the investment curve, if you will. I think things are going to start going up at the beginning of the year. Um, I always recommend, by the way, raising money in January, not in December or, or November. So uh, depending on the time you are, I was just talking to an entrepreneur this weekend and she was talking about, you know, when to go out, when was the right time to go out? And I'm like, January, <laughs> you know, it was it was very easy. And she'd come to that. Her, her, her decision, she came to it for other reasons. Uh, but then I said, perfect, because January, February timeframe is when it's that rebirth time, that time that people are now looking at new opportunities. I will tell you, investors, high net worth individuals, pretty much November and December, they go to sleep. They December is is a quiet time in the VC world here in uh, San Francisco in the Silicon Valley. So um, timing is, is also real important when, when that energy is. With your finely tuned eye for great ideas and, and entrepreneurs um, with, with, you know, incredible ideas. Um, what, what are some things that catch your eye, right? What are some things that really pop out at you as saying this, this has potential to be different. This is going to make an impact or there's a great idea. There's something here that's worth exploring further, or maybe just niches right now that you're seeing kind of rising to the top with big opportunity. Yeah, no, that's a really important, great question, by the way. The first thing is I'll go to the strategic uh, part and then we'll go to the, 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 what, the practical part. So the strategic part, first thing I'm going to look at and first thing investors are going to look at is what problem are you solving? It's the first slide in your deck, <laughs> as well as the hardest one to get to, by the way. Uh, I know it might sound simple, but to actually get a well-crafted problem statement, which has to articulate the specific problem. The bigger the pain point, the bigger the problem the more likely your business is going to be successful or the more the more need is out there. So it could be a problem or a need or a want, but the desire has to be really, really strong. Stronger it is, the better. And that's what investors are looking for. That's what I would look for in terms of an idea. Are they really, so uniqueness is one thing, but and we'll get to that, but the, the problem itself is so critically important uh, to solve. And usually entrepreneurs have a solution in search of a problem. That means they craft the solution and they try to find the problem that it fits into, as yeah. opposed to ideally, if you can, uh, take what you're interested in, what you're motivated about, what you're excited about, and 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 search for the problem and then come up with the solution. Uh, but I guarantee you that most entrepreneurs, they create the solution first and go backwards. Second thing is, is I always say, what is your unique competitive advantage? And I have to tell you, that is exactly what the investors are going to look at. What makes you unique, special, and different? Different from all the other competitors out there. Now, by the way, it can be just one thing. It can be a small tweak on a bigger idea. Let me give you an example. Uh, my uh, company uh, that I'm working on right now, I have two companies, but the one is in the e-learning software space. Well, the e-learning software space has been around for 20 years. It's kind of boring. 
We're reinventing that. E-learning everywhere, number one. And number two, we're using it for sales and marketing purposes. That's our key differentiator. We are using it for lead nurturing, uh, lead generation, lead nurturing, customer nurturing, customer renewals, partner engagement. We built an entire system around just that. The core of it's e-learning, but all the ancillary tools that we built are very unique to that. And that idea is resonating. It's not just, oh, well, what? I, in, in the year that I've been testing this uh, and taking it out to people, I have not gotten one person to say, well, can I just do that with a, a learning management system, an LMS that's been out there for 10 years? Because the idea is different enough as well. Right. And right. there's a pain point. What's my pain point? Okay. As I use with my students, I've been asking this over and over again. I'm helping on the key benefits of my product is that I'm helping on customer renewals, which by the way, is the number one thing that businesses care about today if they're on a subscription business or any type of renewal business is renewals. And, 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 Every business is measured based on ARR or MRR, at least in the tech business. And a lot of, I shouldn't say every business, every tech business is measured based on that. But a lot of businesses are because that's where the businesses that get the highest value have. They have ARR that continues to grow and grow and grow. So renewals are a critical, important part of that. And that's what we're helping with. That's one aspect of what we're helping with. Now, so back to your question, number one, problem. Number two, I'm going to look at uh, the, uh, the unique competitive advantage. Number three, I'm going to look at the trends. I'm going to look to see if there's wind at your back pushing you forward or if it is something that there's wind kind of, uh, you know, uh, at your front pushing you backwards. So you want to make sure that you're on a trend, not on a fad. And, and I got to say that applies to everything. So what's real trendy right now? I'll just use food right now. Uh, keto. Anything that has the word keto in it uh, is all of it. And this is even a trend that's even it's still there, uh, but it's been there for a couple of years. I'm just using I'm stealing one. Uh, so when I go into my local Whole Foods or Sprouts or whatever the markets we have here, depending on where the listeners are, uh, those experimental foods, gluten-free, uh, low sugar, zero sugar, zero sugar without artificial sweeteners, anything in the food business where we put the word keto on. And we did in that coffee business, by the way, we had a keto product and what was the number one seller? Keto. Uh, so it so you have to be within the trends. And there's a, a lot of trends in food, so I won't go, go into that. But fashion or tech. You know, developing an app today, there are millions of apps. So, okay, well, what's going to make you unique, special, and different? So it used to be that apps were trendy, right? Now they're they're entrenched. So you have to find where you're going to differentiate within that. So anyway, think about how all three of those work together. Um, and what's on trend now? Well, let me give you a couple of things. Uh, healthcare, uh, mental health, but not just mental health. Mental health is a big thing right now. Um, but healthcare in general is going to be around, uh, going to be around. It's been around forever and will be around forever, of course. Uh, but the innovations in that, anything associated with healthcare, very valuable. Number two, still tech. I still, when I dive into tech, um, things though that, that, you know, the, the metaverse as an example and yeah. what people are doing in the metaverse. I know it sounds cliche. I'm not a big crypto person, cryptocurrencies and all that. I never was. I didn't get it. I don't get it now. I hope never to get it. Uh, sorry <laughs> for those of you that do get it. Um, but you know, that was, I think more of a fad possibly. I don't know if it's a fad. I get, I mean, you're going to get, I don't want you to get email on that. Um, uh, it might be a trend, but there was fad elements to it. The fad comes and goes trends stay trends are actually staying. So anyway, those are some things that, uh, uh I certainly look at and get excited about. You just want to look at high growth areas and there are high growth areas in a lot of different industries as well. So pick an industry, uh, and then, or maybe revolutionize it. So you can be different in a lot of different ways. And I'll just give you an example here, your pricing model. Just how you charge, not if you charge cheap or more, just how, how it works. I charge on a subscription versus a non-subscription. Okay, great. Uh, subscriptions might be, uh, th that alone could change, that could be a differentiator enough. There's a lot of ways to differentiate 
or just by adding one feature. I always look at, you know, like uh, I don't look at Snapchat because I don't get Snapchat. I'm not, I'm too old for that. But, but all they did was they added one feature that Instagram could have added, you know, five years prior to them, but right. it was one feature that identified a certain market that they liked and that, yeah. that created the company. There are a lot of examples around that as well. Um, and I'm really struck, Ken, at, at the, the ease of, of, you know, creation and entry into markets. The, the barrier of entry has never been lower. Yes. Um, especially in tech. I've been in tech B2B SaaS my whole career and the MarTech space increases by like a thousand new, new entrants every year. It seems like um, yeah. my question to you there is, would you be less likely to invest in a new company that had a great idea, but for which there was two, three, four, five or more incumbents already existing in that space, as long as that company solved a novel and an existing problem? I'd probably invest in that faster than I would other areas, because here's the thing. If you're so if you're if you're creating something so revolutionary, and by the way, I very rarely I, I, it's very rare that something is so revolutionary, uh, but it does happen that your idea is so revolutionary. Nobody's ever heard of it, seen it, done it. There are always tweaks on existing ideas. And here's why that's important. If you're creating something that has never been done before and you're the first to do it, or it's just a new innovation. Um, uh, I coach a bunch of kids, uh, teenagers in uh, India, and every month I hear their ideas and I judge their ideas and we give awards and all of those other things. And, and a lot of their ideas around sustainability and, and um, uh, the environment, I love listening to them. But, and, and, but in that particular area, which, by the way, is also on fire, I should have mentioned that earlier, yeah, anything that's dealing with, you know, that real sustainability and solving problems in there is a, is a, is a, could be a great business. I'm involved in one right now that's revolutionizing the world of solar uh, that I'm an advisor on, and I absolutely love it, um, is, 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 is uh, the, uh, the, if it's so new, you have to educate your market. If you have to, the more you have to educate your market, even on your idea, and then they have to adopt it, the more funding you're going to need. Just plain and simple. If you're to your question, if you're in a business that people identify with, and now you're just kind of changing the perspective, then they're like, "Oh, I get it, I get it," and I see what your value is. It's exactly what my company, Microcasting, is doing. Right? We were in the e-learning space, so everybody kind of gets e-learning, and then we twisted it to where it's unique and solves a certain problem using yeah. e-learning as the vehicle. And all of a sudden, when people hear the idea, I don't have to educate. I'm not. I'm not evangelizing for five or ten years on you know uh, how wonderful XYZ is. That's the difference, and that's so. Just be aware that if you're really creating something revolutionary, you're going to spend a lot of money to educate people on. By the way, that's okay too. Just going into it, you have to know that. And the market's so saturated today, especially with like tech tools, software, apps, those types of things. Um, I was listening to a great podcast yesterday from Russell Brunson's Marketing Secrets podcast, and he was talking about how. Every, everything in terms of you know marketing, customer acquisition, scale, it's really just about bridging a gap and, and fulfilling a need, but helping that audience understand how you actually um, how you actually solve that need. I found that really resonant. Um, yeah, very it, it just, much so. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what it's all about. At the end of the day, uh, if you come up with a new coffee product or a new, you know, they, working on a, uh, it's confidential, I can't say, but I'll, I'll say a new coffee product as an example. And the customer, the customer really doesn't care. There's 22, 50 coffee products on the shelves already. And you're just another, you have the same ingredients, the same, uh, you know, nutritional facts, if you will. Um, and maybe a slightly different taste, very hard to differentiate that you only have your brand to really differentiate on there. Does the world need another coffee product? As an example, you really have to ask yourself that question. But in your right. case, what you're talking about, does the world need another B2B marketing solution? Well, yeah, it might actually, because 
marketers are always looking for new things to bring their business forward. That's why you see the thousands of entrants in the in the mar uh, the uh, 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 martech space that you see, right? Right. How do I go about finding investors? Everyone knows about AngelList. I know there's dozens of other platforms that exist, but let's say someone's they're just starting out thinking about, you know, getting their first round of fundraising. Take us through a quick step-by-step -step of what they would need to get started in raising yeah. capital. Well, the first thing that you need is an investor deck. So you have to have an investor deck before you get started. I also recommend a, uh, a two to three minute video or even a one minute video. That is you, not somebody else, <laughs> not uh, PowerPoint slides or things. They want to see you. They want to make a connection to see the passion in your eyes. So, you know, talk up, talk out, <laughs> always very important uh, and talk to them and excite them because that's your job as an entrepreneur is to excite the vision, add the fuel to the fire that then gets other people uh, intoxicated with, uh, with, with your idea. So number one, so you need a video, you need the, uh, the investor deck, and then you need the financial plan. You have to have probably a five-year financial plan, uh, but a three-year is certainly fine as well. Five, three or five years, got to have, and it's got to be detailed. You can't just make it up. You don't just make up like, oh, I think revenue is going to be this this month and revenue is going to be this. It's got to be a justified revenue model. That means when they grill you on it, you need to be able to answer what all your assumptions are. So when you build your model, everything you do in either sales or marketing drives revenue, right? You don't just make up revenue and then kind of figure out, oh, I'm going to spend $10,000 in marketing. Uh, okay, well, does that connect to revenue? No. Okay, you need to connect it directly. And the good thing in this day and age, you can actually do a lot of that. Not always, but you can do a lot of it with just because direct marketing and uh, the digital world has made it a lot easier than before. Okay, um, then we got to go out. I recommend number one, LinkedIn. LinkedIn is your best tool. And if you need to buy a tool, get LinkedIn Navigator. LinkedIn Navigator, uh, and I'm not a promotional spokesperson for LinkedIn by any stretch. I am a LinkedIn instructor, however. So if you are, have LinkedIn learning, you can get some of my courses there as well. And so I am a proponent of LinkedIn, but I have to tell you, LinkedIn Navigator uh, allows you to build those relationships with VCs and other people. Um, the best thing to do, I got to tell you, you can get any list. I mean, I recommend Gust, G-U-S-T.com. You kind of need to be on something or Proceder or both. Uh, that has your business plan, your video and everything there, because a lot of the angel networks reference either one of these two sites. There are probably a couple others out there that they need your stuff on that site in order to review it and, and, and view it. They also, these two sites have the ability uh, to go out to, uh, to, uh, uh, to find uh, VCs or I'm sorry, to find angels as well. So Gus, G-U-S-T.com, I recommend it's free. Uh, and Proceder, I think they have a paid version and a free version. Uh, it's Proceder, just I just want to make sure it's P-R-O-S-E-E-D-E-R.com. Uh, uh, so, um, and so th there are many, many sites out there and there are lists and other things. The best thing to do is just get one of those lists and you go to the VC's website and you look what their thesis is, what their investment thesis is. That's their fancy Harvard Stanford way of saying, I always thought it was funny when they say, oh, our investment thesis is this. Sorry if they're listening. I'm like, oh, good God, what do you mean? Okay, this is our profile. They all have a profile that they invest in. We don't invest in anybody in Northern. I, I, it's funny because I've run into angels that are, we don't invest anybody in the Silicon Valley. And the reason they don't is they're in the Midwest and the US and they, uh, they don't actually want, there's plenty of people investing in the Silicon Valley. So they'll only invest in Midwest companies. So don't apply because you're wasting your time. Then, uh, but there's, uh, that was a silly one. Um, usually it's a financial range uh, that they're willing to invest. If they only write $50,000 checks and you're looking for a million dollars, they may not be a right match. If they only write million dollar checks and you're looking for $100,000, they're definitely not the right match. So that's just one thing. Also the industries that they are in. But here's what I recommend because I've actually done this over and over and over. Go to their website. Whatever process they tell you to follow, follow. 
if you have, so it's not that you're trying to what we call spray and pray. That's a that's a sales term. Spray and pray basically means I'm going to put my investment deck out to as many people as I humanly possible, and I'm just going to see what happens. Now, mm-hmm. take the relationship building step of going to LinkedIn, creating a relationship with them, the individual managing partner, partner, investment person, whatever, even a lower level person can get you in from that and make sure those are targeted. Go to their website and see how you apply. It might be a form on their website. It might be through Proceeder or Gust. It actually might be an info at, meaning just email that info at, you'll actually get a response. That's yeah. the best way I've found to actually get people to reply. Because they get literally an angel network might get 100, 200, 300 uh, uh, applicants a month as well. So you have to be, you have to stand out in that regard to follow the process. Uh, if you're going to go after VCs and you're looking for larger money there, you know, you, you actually might want to hire somebody that has connections into that world as well. Uh, if you're if you have the capital to do that, I don't that's a more advanced thing uh, in which to do. And in terms of really tailoring your your outreach and creating a really compelling deck, right? Um, take take me into the details of that. Like, how many pages are we looking at? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Slides. That's like, a good thing. A couple of things. Uh, I don't. Again, I'm not promoting entrepreneur now at all. I don't care if you go or not. But we actually have. I have a 29 page uh, um, uh, ebook on creating an investor deck. It has every slide. It actually has in that we have the PowerPoint templates and so on and so forth. We also have a course that you can buy. Don't worry, you don't need to buy it. But uh, there is a course that actually takes you through. It's like two hours. And it li- there's like 13 slides. Uh, and uh, and I also have something called the one-hour business plan and the one-hour business planning kit. So those two things actually can be very valuable tools for your listeners. And they're free or very inexpensive to actually get a copy of. And it will walk you through that. But the formula, there is. here's the good thing about the investor deck. It, there's actually a standard set of slides. Now, you can elaborate and you can customize around the edges, but the investor is going to require at least 10 or 11 of those slides to be in your deck, right? If you don't have a business model slide that tells you how you make money, they're going to, they're going to wonder why. If you don't have a problem statement slide, if you don't have a solution slide, uh, you need your problems, uh, I'm sorry, your product slides. Usually I recommend you can have one, two, or three of those slides. But the maximum number of slides that you're going to want in your deck overall is usually 14 to 15. Right. That's the recommended. And you have to say what your ask is. What are you asking? What you got to tell them at the end? What are you asking? Right. And then you always want a, a slide on your uh, financials as well. Your go to market strategy, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. So I, uh, your target market, your market size. <laughs> so I just gave you kind of the outline, although I gave it in a jumbled format. Sorry, folks. Uh, but uh, th- 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 all that information is available for free on our website there. So you can go and get it. Yeah, that's amazing. And then I- I've many more questions for you. I hope to have you on the show again. Um, but just maybe to, to wrap up for this edition, um, you know, let's say that you're successful in, you know, getting uh, connected and getting those, those few responses back. Um, what are the next steps? Like are companies flying people out might seem like a silly question. Um, are deals being done over zoom these days? Like they are. Yes. It depends on how much is, I just had a company get funded and you know what, that final meeting with the, the founding partners uh, and they weren't even in this country, it was over in India. Uh, that was a really important meeting as an example. Uh, so, but they were already getting funded. They did everything over zoom. They probably could have closed the deal over zoom, but sometimes that, that face-to-face meeting can really seal the deal, so to speak. So if yeah. you ever get an opportunity to be face-to-face with a VC or an angel investor, even if it's halfway around the world, I recommend you take it. However, in today's world, it's actually not a requirement uh, as well. A lot of your invest, I won't say a lot, but there, there are a good number of investors that like to invest locally. So people 
in the Silicon Valley like to invest in Silicon Valley-based companies. They, and the main reason is uh, Silicon Valley-based VCs don't like to travel that much is what they told me. So they, they're like, like to invest because that's, you know, they can drive their board meetings and so on and so forth. But in today, today's world, it's, it's the, the, the boundaries are, are a lot less. Um, what you want to do is, is mainly you want to be, you want to really engage with the people that you're talking to. So be excited. I know I'm naturally caffeinated, even though I don't drink coffee, uh, but I'm not. So I don't, you don't have to be crazy and off the wall like me. In fact, that can be a negative to a certain degree if you're a little too crazy, but be passionate about your idea and let it come through the screen. Right. Talk right. into the camera. We talk up and out and into the camera, right? Uh, I know I'm bouncing all around today. We, we are on video as well. Uh, but when you're presenting, you present into the camera and you look and make eye contact because you're making eye contact with that person. I want to hear your voice come from your gut and your heart through your mouth. <laughs> that I, I know it's really important. Never, don't talk down into the table. The table doesn't invest in you. <laughs> the person on the other side does. It's just some silly things like that that make a big difference. People want to invest in people they are going to enjoy for the next eight to 10 years to be in business with. And they trust. So be authentic and never Please never fib. <laughs> you know what I mean by that? I know that sounds strange, but sometimes we get a little overexcited as entrepreneurs. And, you know, I, I don't mean don't have optimistic uh, financials. You need optimistic financials, although they need to be believable, different topic, but they need to be believable and optimistic, uh, not outrageous. You're not going to grow from 1 million to 50 million in a year. That doesn't happen. Right. So don't do that. All right. But 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 make sure whatever you say, don't get too far ahead. Uh, don't get too ahead of your skis, as they say, uh, in, 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 in when you're skiing, don't you know, just. Make sure that you're believable throughout the entire process. So if you have to be a little more conservative, okay, do it. Right, right. So what is, I guess, the, the one big, you know, overarching takeaway that you want to leave people with today or just the biggest, the biggest kind of trend that you're seeing in, in the market right now that you're really excited about? Well, I mean, it's, it's a big question, <laughs> but let's see. Um, in yeah. terms of, I, I think just in terms of having, I think the most important thing that any entrepreneur can do is have their entrepreneurial mindset, their head screwed on straight and, mm -hmm. and kind of pulling in the right direction. So I, I highly recommend working on yourself more than anything else. We didn't talk a lot about that today, but that idea of, of making sure that you, that, 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 that um, you're focused as an example, that's one really big thing. There's some fundamental things that as you do, if you try to solve the world's problem, as an example, and this is what I see a lot of entrepreneurs doing. So this is probably my, one of my better pieces of advice. The best thing that you can do, the more focused you are, believe it or not, the more attractive you are. Because you can't, when you talk, try to talk to everybody, you talk to nobody. So what an investor is looking for is they're looking for that focus. They're looking for a big enough market. So it's this duality of I want a huge market, but I only want to talk to, I want to talk to a small group of individuals. You want your beachhead. So know who your sweet spot is in your TAM. Your TAM, your SAM, your SOM. We didn't talk about that. Your SOM essentially translates to your sweet spot. Define your business as it relates to who that person is. Okay. And, and when you can do that with that amount of focus and that amount of rigor, you're going to have a lot better chance overall of, uh, of getting funding. You don't want to be willy-nilly, indecisive. If you don't know your strategy, I guarantee you, you're not going to get investment because they, they're not going to figure it out for you. You've got to go in and say, this is who we're going after. This is why they need it. This is why this is going to resonate. And that investor tries to put themselves in the shoes of that target market and see if it resonates for them. Yes. Yes. Okay. So much great value uh, here today, Ken. Uh, I can't thank you enough for your time. Thank you so much. This has been great. Wonderful right. podcast and wonderful questions. I love the 
the the the growth fo the focus of growth and how you you move growth in and through the business uh, model because I think that's 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 the thing that excites entrepreneurs. That's why we are entrepreneurs. First and foremost, I think is to grow something out of nothing, and that's certainly what charges me every day. And I think that's what you're you're preaching every day as well. Yeah, it's it's this idea of creating your own your own value, uh, your own meaning, and helping others with a potentially you know big new novel life-changing idea. Yeah. Um, that's what it comes down to. Absolutely. I would love to have you on the show again. We can get even more in the weeds next time, Ken. Um, for now, where can people go to learn more about you and, and follow you? Sure. For uh, free resources, uh, two sites, uh, KenBurke.com, which has my book on it, uh, Prosper, Five Steps to Thriving Business and Life, which was released earlier this year. And then Entrepreneur Now is uh, EntrepreneurNow.com uh, is a site that has tons of free resources and other things. All the things that we talked about today actually are supported. So if they want to execute the things that we talked about today, uh, whether in a free version or a paid version, that is there and available to them. Uh, as well. We're not promoting the site. I just want to make sure people go there and get really good, uh, uh, good information about how to do this stuff because it's not easy. Yeah. Those links will be included in the description, guys, if you're, if you're ready to, to check some of those out. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey guys, if you found value in this episode, it would mean the world to me if you share it with a friend and on social media and be sure to tag me so that I can repost and please rate and review as everything helps so that I can get this knowledge to as many people as humanly possible. All right, I'll see you in the next episode. That's it for this episode. Really appreciate you tapping in. FYI, my new book, Content Capitalist, is launching end of March. I'm super excited to put this out into the world. I've been heads down the past six months writing and refining the book. If you'd like to register for updates and be added to my VIP waitlist, go to michaelbecker.org backslash content capitalist book. Can't wait to share what I've been cooking up with you guys. See you in the next episode.